honor today to introduce my friend and our brother, Stephen Gilchrist, who is preaching for us today. If you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Stephen preach. We did a team sermon, Stephen and I kind of tag-teaming together. Today, it's all Stephen, and so I'm going to take a moment and pray for him as he gets ready to preach for us, and then we'll hear the reading of the Scripture. Let's pray together. Lord, your holy word is food, and we come to you now to receive it. Not as people who are at a buffet, overlooking the things that we don't really like, and kind of being picky about what we put on our plate. We come to you today to receive the food of your holy word as those who are starving. We may not realize how hungry we are. But without you, we would not know truth about who we were intended to be. Without you, we would not know truth about this world. Without you, we would have no hope for the future. Without the way that you feed us in the Scriptures, we would not know Christ and the redeeming grace that he brings to each of us personally, to us as a Christian community, and to the world, we would not know your plans for redeeming all things through Christ unless you feed us. And so today, thank you for bringing a master chef into our midst, someone who has labored long to prepare for us a meal so that you could feed us from your word. Holy Spirit, bless Stephen with wisdom and courage and with a heart for Christ in all that he says. Amen. This morning, our scripture reading comes from two passages, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, and Philemon, verses 16 and 17. First, from Genesis. Now all of the earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as the journeyed east, that it found a plain in the land of Shenile and settled there. Then they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. Now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it was named Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. 
and from Philemon. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, in town. This has been a long week for my family. Spending time with people who I know and love who are Asian American. And then to come to in, in town and to be blessed. Blessed by the prayer, blessed by the concerns. In town, you guys are enduring a lot. This project is not easy. I recognize that. But I, I can tell you that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your patience. Thankful for your resilience. I'm going to pray because I need to pray again. Because <laughs> I might not make it through this sermon. But I'm praying because I'm thankful for what the Lord's been doing here over these last, what are we in, Jimmy? Eight weeks now? Nine weeks? My Lord. Nine weeks. I'm, I'm expecting him to do much more beyond our project. So if you would, bow with me again. <clears throat> As we have gathered here today, Lord, Jesus, you have invited us to be hearers and doers of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Make it so. Amen. Now, I want to say this from the outset. Jesus didn't come into this world to improve our lives. He came to give us new life. Amen? I think uh, in light of this, this past week, we can sometimes forget that Jesus is making all things new, especially when it doesn't feel like it. <clears throat> now, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This African proverb hints at the core of really what this project is all about. You see, some of us find security in how far we can get in a journey. And some of us find security in just engaging in the conversation. But here's the funny thing about security. It's often energized with, with really good intentions that exclude God. So what's missed is that the journey and this conversation are often the same thing. Take the Tower of Babel, for example. They chose the, the route of trying to make a name for themselves by excluding God because they really thought themselves to be enough. They were one people that had one language and they thought they had everything they needed. And so they sought to make a better name for themselves without God. That same temptation is lurking at the door for us if we're honest. We've covered a lot from Thurman to Jimmy to, to Luke and to myself. We've discussed a lot. You guys have had some awesome seminars. 
uh, especially the ones where we're not uh, privy to, but I'm always encouraged that, that Jimmy agreed and you guys have been faithful to show up. So we've covered a lot. This is only the beginning, saints. There's this emotional toll that we have to prepare ourselves for. This walk, this journey, it's not easy. Um, I say that because I, I live it every day. I live it being trying to get ordained in, in the PCA and, and learning to, to live this Presbyterian lifestyle and speak Presbyterian, which is a, is a language. Hope you guys know. If you don't believe me, ask Brother Work. So here's how I want to proceed uh, this morning. I want to remind us some, of something. We can reenact the Tower of Babel story every time we seek to build identities of uniformity that result in exclusion. And when we seek to find our being enough apart from God in Jesus Christ. So we need to see how the Bible as a whole and the letter to Philemon specifically speaks to what I'm gonna call three S's, servant, slave, and salvation, followed by this one key application point. I don't know, for those of you who are note takers, I, I want you to write down this application point more than anything else that I say this morning. Christian life is not about the truth you know, it's about the truth you obey. The Christian life is not about the truth you know, it's about the truth you obey. Now Philemon evokes all sorts of demands on the words we use and the frameworks we adhere to. Uh, for example, there's this undeniable difference between servitude and slavery in the Bible. Slavery is what you could describe as a forced environment of rejecting God-given dignity and identity for the purpose of ownership, while servitude is a decisive vocation with life-altering opportunity. It was typically something that the poor did. And we learned this probably from our very first seminar. I can't remember, Jimmy. Context is king, is it not? The Hebrew and the Greek language uh, actually have a, a word for these two terms, but the context determines which one best fits. So which one best fits the book of Philemon? I think you have it there. You see it here. Jimmy was very clear and deliberate in, in answering this from the get-go. It's placarded on this Philemon slide here. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. It helps us to connect the community of faith that God has been putting together since the beginning of time to this particular man in this particular situation. You see, whether servant or slave, God's economy has included them and it has protected them. You guys remember the book of Daniel? God's people steeped in their own sin, seized and captured by unjust Babylonian nation. Daniel and his three friends were then made servants of the king. And, and yet, oddly enough, in, in the sense of Daniel um, resisting the, the government, if you will, the church applauds those acts of Daniel. He's normally put it in front of us as a, an example of what to do and how we 
can do it as Christians. He, he boldly spoke out against evil, and he was right to do so. Why? Because he was following the word of God and not the law of Babylon. So two, two things stick out to me as I think about Philemon as it relates to Daniel. I think being subject to the government, and this is key, being subject to the government doesn't mean always obeying them. Right? If the government ever calls us to sin, that's where we, we reject what the law of the land is saying. Amen? And two, peaceful disobedience to sinful laws is not prohibited. We also see that in the book of Daniel. And one commentator said it this way. He says, civil law is not moral simply because it is a law. So in the sense of being subject to the government, as it refers to Daniel and Onesimus, the second point of peaceful disobedience refers to Paul. You see, the Roman law we're going to see here in a couple of slides required sending back slaves that had escaped or who had become fugitives, or however you want to classify Onesimus. But Paul was a little different. And I'm going to give us some verses from the Old Testament to help us see. Here in Deuteronomy 23, Moses says, You shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in your midst, in the place that he chooses, in one of your towns where it pleases him. You shall not mistreat him. This is, this is where we, we see the treatment of alien and Jew in command form. Exodus 20.15 is no different. This is in reference to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. In the sense of man stealing, we can point to there. Exodus 22.21 says this, you shall not oppress a stranger nor torment him. Why? You were strangers in the land of Egypt yourselves. Or in Exodus 23, verse 9, it says, You shall not oppress a stranger since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Leviticus 19 says this, When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. These litany of verses tell us about this pre-church church, does it not? Better yet, we, we know that this is actually a part of our story as well. These are Old Testament commands for us to consider, to hear God's heart of how he has called God's people to treat the alien, the sojourner, the immigrant, the disenfranchised, the poor. Some of you may be asking in your minds, but what about the servitude side? Well, glad you asked. There's this lovely chapter uh, called Leviticus 25. Oh, went too far, sorry. We'll stay there. Uh, in Leviticus 25, where, where there's this language that 
talks about this event called Jubilee. This is God taking this us-them perspective, and he turns it into an us requirement of celebration. In Leviticus 25, he commands his people to celebrate the immigrant, the sojourner, the alien, the poor, the disenfranchised, and the outcast right alongside the Jew. This time of Jubilee is a, a holy consecration of the 50th year. So it's a time of recess, a time of uh, celebration where land isn't being worked, debts are being forgiven, slaves are being set free. And get this, everybody is being equipped and empowered to provide for themselves and to contribute to the community. See, saints, I'm making the argument that the Old Testament has always been community-based. God's always been about the covenant community, blessing the rest of the world. Never just a us-inclusive, excluding God and excluding the rest of the image bearers. God's jubilee wasn't some modern-day conservative or liberal project. It was actually much more than that. It went... Uh, much further than that. And even though Israel ended up reenacting the Tower of Babel, as we know, we still have that, that sort of opportunity lurking for us. Now, all of this demands a, a pause for the cause, if you will. Because as we're, we're coming near the end and we're talking about Christian theology, we're talking about the Tower of Babel to Philemon, we have to understand some key things first. God is sovereign, and his law supersedes the law of the land. Whether that's the law of Egypt, Babylon, Rome, and every other nation. God's law wins every day, all day, and twice on Sunday. Amen? So the Bible says it, and I believe it. That's the refrain I heard. Um, growing up in church. The Bible says it, and I believe it. This is Christian theology, and, and, it, and it, this is needed, saints, to have this framework as we, we both understand the letter of Philemon and the entire Bible, because we are actually given this biblical pattern of discernment that reminds us that God rules and reigns overall, and we as his people under King Jesus have all the tools to be wise in our actions. This is where we actually have to be, how can I say this? We have to be full of the spirit to refuse to exclude God in building up these identities of uniformity. You see, in God's community, there was always unity, but not uniformity. It's no different for us I mean, whether we're talking in town or my church, West Side, or really any local church here that's a part of his kingdom. So as I say Christian theology, I want, I want to make this distinction because I got this from my mentor who got this from him, his mentor. My mentor is Carl Ellis, and he got it from his mentor, John Frame. The word theology, I don't mean just in the sense of Christian studying uh, about God. I mean theology in a sense where we are 
applying the word of God in every area of life. Applying the word of God in every area of life. So Christian theology is meant to uh, convey that we as Christians take all these truths that we are learning in this project, in our Bibles, in our breakouts, in our conversations face-to-face, text messages. We take all those, those truths and we apply them. As we think about these passages that we saw in the Old Testament, I don't doubt for a second that Paul was thinking of these Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy passages as Onesimus finds him chained to his fellow prisoners. Imagine this. Paul, a prisoner himself, a slave himself, not to Nero, but to Jesus, he says, finds a a slave running to him. And Paul is so faithful to say, I'm going to submit to God's law because his law supersedes the law of Rome. Because since the Old Testament, saints, God has been demanding that his people stand with the oppressed, care for the oppressed, fight for the oppressed, defend the oppressed. And I think we have done a, I say we, I'm really talking about you all, have done a really good job of doing that this morning with our prayers and our, our lament. And if all the passages we read in the Old Testament are enough to kind of spur us on, maybe this verse will. Matthew 23 is one of these verses, uh, Matthew 23, 23, is one of these verses that gives us such this Strong language, you can call it, that you only get when Jesus speaks. It says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, consider how you both serve, how you love, and how you tithe. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm I'm faithful to attend, I'm faithful to give, but you're not practicing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, those two actually go hand in hand, although sometimes the world and others may tell us that they are very much a dichotomy. That could be nothing further from the truth. And yet and still, here's the, the thing we're sort of left with as we read Philemon. We really don't know what Philemon was thinking or doing during this time. He, he's a man who has been saved. He has enough money to afford a house big enough to house an entire church. Don't know how many people that is, but it's still pretty amazing. He has a man who has left his house He has lost something in this process. Having been changed by Paul meeting him first, he is now being challenged by the same Paul to then change, a very strict, sharp change in this sense. You're a master of slaves. Your slave is with me. I'm sending him back to you. You are to receive him as a brother. 
just like that. Now, no one thinks the gospel works like that. Amen? I mean, maybe salvation, but like anything beyond that, no one thinks anything just happens with the snap of a finger. And yet, isn't that what Paul is asking Philemon to do? So here's what we can take from that. If Philemon is to be submissive to the Scripture, and we are to be submissive to the Scripture, then by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can change just like that. Why? Because we're actually trying to be faithful to what the Word of God has said, and we're not allowing the law of this nation to supersede how we treat others, those in the community of of faith and those outside of it. So looking at Philemon 16 and 17, isn't it something to consider that Paul is saying, if you regard me as a partner, you'll accept this person I'm sending to you, this person who has wronged you, this person who has done something in his past, this person that you already know, you will accept him as you accept me. We can now understand this in a different light. You see, there are people in the greeting and the salutations, you can call it, who are involved in this. There are people who are there in Philemon's house that get mentioned, Aphia and Archippus and the church that meets in his house. They're all involved in this sense of acceptance. It's not just one man to one man. Paul's knowledge of of God's law and obedience really served as a catalyst to encourage and to spur on not only Philemon, but think of Onesimus. He's run away from something. He goes and finds Paul in Rome. He meets Paul. Paul shares the gospel. Paul is hospitable. Paul is loving to him. In some crazy way, Paul gets him to say, I'm going to go back. Now, I have children. My son is here with me. I'm going to speak to the parents for a second. How many of you parents actually have kids who will just willingly come up to you and tell you they did something wrong? How often does that happen in your homes? And if it happens, please see me after this. I need to know what you're doing. I have to chase down my kids to get them to even admit they've done something wrong. Now imagine how difficult it would be, because I don't have teenagers yet, But imagine how difficult it would be to get an adult to do that. This man who didn't know God in a salvific way came to know God, came to see Jesus as his Savior and his Lord to the point that this man who shared the gospel with him convinced him to go back to the place where he ran away from. Philemon has no idea what's going on. He, he, he gets the letter upon seeing this man return with another man who brought the letter. Isn't that weird? There was this us and them divide that had been created because this man ran away. And that through the, the work of the Holy Spirit in this inspired letter, 
Paul is actually drawing them back to an us, much like God was doing in the Old Testament. He's doing in the new. And this, this divide that is now being closed is really showing the beauty that comes out of the new creation that we are. So if I can just be really transparent for a second. When Jimmy asked me to be a part of this project, uh, we spoke on the phone, and I think he gave me a couple of days to consider it. He's gracious like that. And honestly, what I was considering is, is this worth it? Is it worth it to, to jump into something like this, knowing I've having been a part of these conversations many times before? Is it worth it? And without even talking to Jimmy, talking to other friends, they, they reminded me of something. We're family. We're all part of this new creation. See, I call y'all family. I don't even know probably anybody's name in here except Jim and Jimmy and my, my son, some guys up there. But here's the reality that I know, and this is the reality that I'm banking on, I'm hoping that you're banking on too, is that when Jesus Christ saved you, not only did he make you his, but he made you my sibling. Amen? And I'm crazy enough to believe that the gospel actually has the power to change all of us. Now, I'm not standing up here like, hey, I'm, I'm right, you're wrong, change, and then we'll be, we'll be good. What I'm saying is Jesus didn't come to improve our lives. He came to give us new life. See, we all need to be repenting and looking more and more like our Savior. So that as people are coming in, so that as we get a chance to take off masks and fully engage with folks in a couple of months, Lord willing, just maybe, we can approach a man who decided to purchase a gun on the same day <clears throat> that he decided to take some lives. And we can share with him what the gospel actually says. Because saints, the gospel changed murderers like Saul into Paul. So that very same gospel can change this brother into a son. You guys miss your amen moment. It's okay. There's an Old Testament scholar named Chris Wright, Christopher Wright. He says this, the institution of Jubilee was meant to have a built-in future dimension. See, the great thing about Jubilee is that it, it really brought rest and peace and the sense of unity to Israel that they had never known. Saints, we have a future Jubilee coming. When the one who, who left and said we could have this comfort that Jimmy prayed for is actually coming back to make all things new. There's no more sin. There's no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more worry. There's no more mistreatment. There's no more injustice. There's no more anti-God anything. He's coming to bring this new Jerusalem. <laughs> and it is a place where the, the, the sweetest reality of, of God and Jesus and us and our redeemed bodies will, will be worshiping and working in such a way that we couldn't even ask, think, or imagine. And it's beautiful, and it's righteous, and it's holy. 
And this is what we're all looking forward to, I hope, because we've been banking on the ascendant one who got up from the grave with all power in his hands. So as security and, and, and notions of having arrived after we finish this project become palpable, please, please run to this truth. The Christian life is not about the truth you know, it's about the truth you obey. Saints, we will set ourselves up for failure to be like the man who looks at himself in the mirror in the book of James, sees all these slides and says, yes and amen. And then we walk away from this thinking, well, they're the problem, not me. Or in town's fine. It's the rest of the churches. It's the rest of the people who need to kind of get it together. We will be setting ourselves up for failure if we have that attitude. Paul obeyed God's truth. He shared God's truth with Onesimus. Onesimus believed God's truth, and it changed him enough to go back to his master, Philemon, hopefully to be treated, hopefully to be treated as a brother. There was no guarantee that would happen. Solely by the power of the gospel and the encouragement of those who were with Paul in that house, he obeyed the truth. And we can only hope that Philemon did the same. <clears throat> I want to encourage us with this. We got one more week of this Philemon project. The journey's not over, it's just beginning. I hope that we can anchor ourselves in this, this majestic picture of what we see the gospel doing in the book of Philemon. I hope we can see us in this story because saints, the Old Testament is our story. We are included in that. We do have this future that we're pointing to in the book of Revelation. And it would, be, it would behoove us <laughs> to spur one another on to love and good deeds, which actually include not just tithing, mint, deal, and cumin, but also mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, help us to be joyful, to grow to maturity, to encourage one another, to live in harmony and peace, and to know that then the God of love and peace will be with us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And all the saints said,